The EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Theology of the Body with your hosts, Father Richard Hogan and Katrina Zeno. Hello, welcome back to this series on the Theology of the Body of John Paul II on EWTN. My name is Father Richard Hogan. I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis in Minnesota. And with the permission of our Archbishop there, I work full-time with a national apostolate called Natural Family Planning Outreach. I'm Katrina Zeno, co-foundress of Women of the Third Millennium. And we want to talk about the fifth cycle of John Paul II's Theology of the Body, actually the concluding part of it. Uh, these are numbers 87 to 113. As we've said before on the previous shows, the Theology of the Body series is divided into six different cycles, uh, comprising in total 129 talks. And so we're getting towards the end of this. We are. This is the fifth, fifth cycle, cycle, fifth section, but we're doing a second show on it because it's on marriage, and we all know one show is not enough to talk about the beauty and dignity of marriage. Especially with the way John Paul talks about marriage. And in the first part of this fifth cycle, he talks about marriage in, in the terms of its continuity of revelation mm -hmm. from the Garden of Eden through Christ, Christ and the Church, and then to marriage and using especially St. Paul's remarks about marriage in Ephesians 5. And that was what we did in the last show. Then he goes on and talks about marriage as a sacrament, capital S. Right, capital S, because in the last show we talked about marriage as a sacrament with a small s, meaning the fact that God reveals what's invisible through the visible. And we saw how marriage at the beginning was God's beginning revelation of how to love as he loves. Right and then uh, Christ's love for the church. And now, of course, John Paul II, to complete this uh, study of marriage, needs to talk about the sacrament. And a sacrament is an outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace in which we meet the Lord. So it's really four elements. A sign uh, established by the Lord through which we meet him, and in that meeting he gives us his divine life for grace. And in order to talk about the sacrament of marriage, we have to talk about those, those four elements. You know, I think we can never talk about sacraments enough. I know for me, it's kind of like... Oh, in other words... Well, I'll bring out my old one, my slinky oh. here. I haven't brought that out for a long time. But, you know, the church, our faith, is similar to how John Paul II writes in the sense that in our faith, we always have to keep coming back to things. You know, we've all learned about sacraments over the course of our life, you know, when we prepared for our first communion and then penance. But I think we always need to come back and revisit what they are and what they mean. And the fact that a sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible reality that conveys grace. Um, if we might, maybe it'd be helpful, we have the nice water fountain here. We could just take baptism, Beth for instance, as an example, example right. of the visible sign. So the visible sign is water, right? Water plus the, words, plus the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you try to do it with car oil, motor oil, it doesn't work. No, we're baptized in the name of Buddha. Or Buddha, or if you just say in the name of the Father or in the name of God, it doesn't work either. So you have to have both the physical element, the water and baptism, 
plus the words which give meaning to the use of the water over the child's head right, or the adult's head. Sorry, but then that's what we can see. But the marvelous thing about a sacrament is there's something going on that we can't see. That's right. It, it makes it, it is a sign of an invisible reality, but it's an efficacious sign. That's a big long word. It means that it actually accomplishes what it is a sign of. Mm -hmm. So the water in baptism is a sign of life and it's also a sign of cleansing. Mm -hmm. And it cleanses the soul and it gives the divine life or grace for the first time to the newly baptized person. Right, so the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within the newly baptized. Yes. The grace and, life, right. Right, the grace life and makes that person a son or a daughter of the Father. So right. baptism actually there are multi-dimensions going on, aren't there? Because we're being washed of sin and then the divine life comes to dwell within us and makes us a yeah. child of God. Yeah, the sin is removed, uh, we're made a uh, child of God, and we have the promise of future glory. All of this accomplished through the gift of the Holy Spirit, and with the Holy Spirit comes this grace life. And of course the Lord instituted the sacrament of baptism when he himself was baptized, and also in his final testament just before he ascended to, into heaven, where he told the apostles that they were to go and baptize everyone in the whole world. Well, let's, I do have one other thing in my little bag. Let's go ahead and talk about marriage as a sacrament. This is often a symbol that's used for marriage because it has the, the rings in it and the cross as a sign that the couple is married in Christ. It's mm -hmm. not just a civil union. It's not just standing for a judge before a judge. We really believe that marriage, like in baptism, something significant happens, something permanent happens because it's a sacrament. We should speak, though, just... Uh briefly about what is called a natural or civil union. If a baptized person marries, say a Catholic, marries a non-baptized person, say a Buddhist or a Muslim or someone in our, in our own civilization who was never churched, was never, um, was never baptized, then it's not a sacrament because it takes two baptized persons to create a sacrament. Nevertheless, civil unions, marriages between a baptized person and a non-baptized person, are certainly recognized by the church and blessed by right. the church. They're still married. It's they're not still a matter married. that they're not no. married. It's, it's that just it's not married as a sacramental union. It's a natural union the way Adam and Eve were married in the Garden of Eden. But for most Catholics, for most baptized people, which is to say most of the uh, U.S. civilization and the Western civilization in general, um, two baptized persons marry and they confect, we say, a sacrament. They, they confer the sacrament of marriage on one another. That's something people do not know. The usual uh, minister of baptism is a priest or deacon. can be a bishop too, but a priest or deacon. But the ministers of the sacrament of marriage are the husband and wife. They give people, the sacrament to each other. Right. The priest is just there to say, yes, you did it right, priest or deacon. Right, he's the witness. I know most people think if you ask them, they say that the priest actually married them, but that's not true. The husband and wife, the bride and groom, they marry each other. Each other. Right. The priest sometimes says, well, I married them, you know, or I married her. That's uh, after a while, after a few years of ordination, you don't usually say that anymore. <laughs> you say, I witnessed their marriage right. because it's a better way of saying it. So in um, so let's talk about if marriage is a sacrament. That means it must have a vis it's a visible sign, mm -hmm. and there's an invisible reality. Now my impression is that lots of people think, that, especially with that, especially with this, yeah. right, that they can think that the rings are the visible sign, such as the water and baptism. Right, right, but that's really not the case. Is no, it? no, they always make that mistake when you ask uh, brides and grooms, or even people who have been married a number of years. 
what is the visible sign of the sacrament of marriage or the sacrament of matrimony, the answer is the rings. But that's the rings are not necessary. Right. Uh, people can get married without rings. It's not customary. It's not cultural. But they certainly can be married without rings because the visible sign of the sacrament of matrimony is the the, the two bodies of a man and a woman, the two persons in mm -hmm. flesh, uh, a, a man and a woman. Because this is a sacrament between two persons, two, not between two, two rings. Right, right, two persons, but two persons of two different genders, the mm -hmm. masculine and feminine, which is the problem with so-called homosexual marriages. It would be similar to trying to, to celebrate mass with chocolate chip cookies or something. You need a host, you need bread. Mm -hmm. So with marriage, you need um, a, a man and a woman that's the visible sign such as the water and baptism or the bread and wine in the holy eucharist or the oil and confirmation then of course we, you also have the words right every sacrament has some stuff some matter the what we've been talking about in baptism the water or the bread and wine in the eucharist the two people in their in flesh a man and a woman in marriage but you also have the words such as i baptize you or this is my body in the eucharist or be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit in confirmation. Those words are important, aren't they? Because they really convey a reality. I mean, yeah, we can't they give just meaning. use any words. They give a meaning, yes. You cannot use just any words. I just, for example, celebrating Mass, I couldn't say, this might become the body of Christ, or uh, it will be in ten minutes the, the uh, blood of the Lord. You have to say precisely what's, what's written there, mm -hmm. this is my body, this is the cup of my blood and similarly in baptism and the vows of the couple of the bride and the groom they are the words that give meaning to the visible sign the visible aspect of the sign uh, the man and the woman in flesh there before the altar before the deacon or priest or even bishop and so the two together constitute the outward sign of the sacrament. Right, and the invisible reality that's happening is what we heard from St. Paul earlier, the fact that the two become one body. We the can't two become see one that, body. Right? right? But in but in God's order and his design from that moment on, the husband and wife are no longer two separate entities. Right. There's a way in which now they are a new um, there's a new union between them, and that's why the church has always said that it has no authority to break that union because God has um, united man and wife right. in marriage, and that's the invisible reality that we can't see in marriage. Right. By grace, they become Christ for one another. It's as though Christ takes his penknife and writes her name on his soul and his name on her soul. So they are one in the Lord. And, of course, the Lord instituted this sacrament at Cana, when he made the water wine. Do you know how much wine he actually made? At no, I have no idea. It was something like 40 gallons. They were having a big party. But he instituted the sacrament there and also with all of his instructions on marriage that we've been talking about in the first three cycles. The, the instruction to the Pharisees about divorce, the uh, statement about looking lustfully in the Sermon on the Mount, and of course the response to the Sadducees about marriage in heaven. So all of those statements, as well as the marriage feast of Cana, are the occasions when Christ raised this creation activity, because marriage was established in the act of creation, but Christ raised it to a sacrament. So it was instituted by Christ, and we meet him in the sacrament through this visible sign that signifies an interior reality. And Christ reaches out to us, touches us, that's why it's a visible sign, it's like the hand of Christ, 
touches our souls and gives us his divine life. Isn't that an amazing reality that we have the privilege to witness this, you know, when we go to a marriage, that we actually are able to see two people pledging their lives to each other permanently, mm -hmm. faithfully, fruitfully. I mean, I love the questions that the oh, priest yes, asks, right, yeah. you know, before they state their vows. You mm -hmm. know, he asks, have you come here freely without reservation? And then um, do you promise to give each other um, to, as man and woman for the rest of your life? And then will you accept children sure. lovingly? I, I like the way that can be summarized as, have you come here freely, faithfully, and fruitfully. Right. That that's what we get to witness, a promise to that. Right, because without those, you don't have love. You need, you need a commitment of the will, you need a commitment to permanence, and you need, in marriage, obviously, the life-giving aspect, because otherwise it's not love. And the life-giving aspect of marriage is procreation. The life-giving aspect of the celibate or virginal love is the fruit of uh, corporal and spiritual works of mercy in the world or in the order or in the priesthood. But in marriage, because of the nature of the gift and the bodily gift, it's procreative. And so couples need to affirm that and agree to that when they uh, uh, say their vows to one another. Join us after the break for further discussion on this very interesting question of marriage as a sacrament. For a complete list of the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network AM and FM stations across America, go to EWTN.com, look for the radio pull-down menu, and select AM FM stations. The list is updated regularly, so visit often. Again, go to EWTN.com, look for the radio pull-down menu, and select AM FM stations. Also at EWTN.com, you'll find out how to listen to us on the web, on shortwave, and in some countries on satellite. You'll find it all on EWTN.com. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. We now return to Theology of the Body on EWTN Radio. Welcome back to this interesting discussion Katrina and I are having about marriage as a sacrament, commenting on the Theology of the Body of Pope John Paul II, the fifth cycle, uh, numbers 100 or so to 113, where he discusses this great institution of the Lord of marriage as a sacrament, raising the what God had established in the act of creation, the only sacrament that in a certain sense pre-existed Christ, in the sense that God had established it in the act of creation, and then the Lord raised it to the level of a sacrament. We were talking before the break about the three questions the priests asked the mm -hmm. bride and groom before they exchanged their vows. and Have they come to the church freely and without reservation? Will they give themselves permanently until death do them part, so to speak? That isn't the exact words. 
And finally, would they accept children lovingly from God? Now, the, this whole question of the life-giving aspect of marriage is not a question of you must have children. It's a question of accepting children if God were to bless the marriage with children. It's a question of not doing anything contrary to the possibility of giving life. As I'm sure everyone knows, the church has the custom of witnessing marriages of people who obviously are not going to be able to have children. For example, older people and also people who are uh, infertile, and they might know that by natural means, that is to say by some, some problem with, in their own physical makeup. And this is not a question of denigrating marriages where there aren't any children by the fact that it's not possible for the couple to have children. Right, so it's not that, well, we're not saying that if you're not able to have children, you can't enter into a marriage validly. What we're saying is that it would never be in God's design to interfere with preventing procreation from happening. And so certainly a couple who's not able to have children, they absolutely express authentic love exactly. to each other. Exactly, and the life-giving aspect of their marriage is a little different than say those couples who do have children because they give give life in, in a host of other ways to the neighborhood uh, taking care of charitable works and so forth and so on there's a thousand different ways or more than that even and one cannot even begin to try to list it right. so we're not as you're saying we're not saying that those marriages that are not fruitful in the sense of having give the gift of physical life they're fruitful in, in a host of other ways and so it's a question of intent here. That's what those questions are really about. Do you intend to accept children if God were to bless you with, with children? And you actually the priest has the option of leaving that question out, especially in the case of older people, say a widow and widower who decide that they wish to marry. We don't usually ask that question because it would be kind of nonsensical in, in a human sort of way. Now we still have the aspect of the fact we talked about marriage as a sacrament with a capital S um, is a visible sign of an invisible reality that conveys grace. Let's talk a little more about that aspect of conveying grace. That is an amazing, once again, awesome privilege that a husband and wife actually become a means and a channel of grace for each, for each other. other. This, is, this is also something that's not recognized very much, as you well know. People say to, to couples sometimes, well, why did you get married? Well, I loved her. I loved him. We wanted to spend the rest of our lives together. We could help each other. It was convenient. It was convenient, <laughs> so forth and so on. She was so sweet. He was so helpful or whatever. But actually, the purpose of marriage from the sacramental point of view is the point of all the sacraments, which is to give grace, which is the promise of eternity. The purpose of the sacraments is to help us come to the glory of God in heaven, to have that resurrected body, that glorified body, at the end of the world when Christ comes to judge the living and the dead. So the purpose of marriage is to help each other, the two, the two spouses, to help each other come to the glory of heaven. And then if they're blessed with children, to help the children also come to the glory of heaven. But that isn't attended to very much. No, it isn't. John, John Paul in his Theology of the Body uh, has a very wonderful way of putting it. He says, Christ, open marriage to the salvific action of God, to the forces which flow from the redemption of the body. These mm. help to overcome the consequences of sin and to constitute the unity of man and woman according to the eternal plan of the Creator. What John Paul II is saying is that marriage is salvific. 
I, I don't know if um, I hear that said very often, the fact that really the purpose of marriage is to save you. You know, the, save you in the sense of bringing you to heaven. That's right. right, in the sense of bringing you to heaven, of, of making you holy. And that he says to overcome the consequences of sin, that it's actually through the marriage relationship. I mean, we all know how difficult it is to take two lives and blend them together into one. It's really easy to take two lives and make them parallel. Mm -hmm. You know, I call that single, uh, married but single. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. I know relationships like that mm -hmm. where they're married, but they're really single. But this really taking of two lives and weaving them together for one. Yes, you have got to deal with the consequences of sin because, you know, our nature wants to be selfish. I want things the way I want them. I don't want to get up at two in the morning and care for the baby. Let you do it. But, mm -hmm. you know, out of love, mm -hmm. uh, a husband or a wife will do that. Right. The grace life enables the, the two spouses to do those things in charity that their vocation is is called to do. For example, care for the child, but also care for each other. When the husband is sick or the wife is sick, they help each other. The aging parents of both, they both take care of. They're both incorporated into both families. These are difficult situations, and we all know this, but the grace life helps them do that. Now, we should probably talk a little bit about this grace life and exactly what it is and how it exactly works. If you think of grace as God's life, it can help a bit. Um, we all have human life. That's what it means to be a human being. If you, a dog has dog's life, lion has lion's life, and so on. A bug has a bug's, a bug's life. life. Yes. <laughs> and but God created the human soul to be not only have human life, to be what. St. Thomas calls Kapax Dei, that's Latin for capable of God. It's a very radical statement, but he, he says that the human soul is capable of God. That means there's, a, there's an opening in the human soul for another life, not just human life, but actually God's own life. Meaning the divine life of grace, grace within us. Within us, right. So when God created us, he gave us human life. He at the same time made us capable of sharing his life and then at the dawn of creation he gave us his life which is grace so for example if you think about a pet at home say your dog you don't sit the dog down at Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas at least most people don't and try to have a conversation with the dog about politics or economics or foreign policy or whatever because the dog can't think and choose is not a person cannot eat a dinner in the sense that other human people or human persons can. We don't do that because the dog is a dog. But if you wanted to have the dog sit at your table and converse that way, you'd have to give him human life. But you can't do that because the dog and any pet, any animal, hasn't got the capacity right, he's incapable. to share two lives. But if we think of heaven as God's banquet table, and it's been, that image has been used, it doesn't describe what heaven is completely, but it's one of the images we sometimes use to try to come to some understanding of this. If we're going to sit at God's table in heaven, then we have to share God's life. And so there's no way that we can come to heaven without divine life or grace. We have to be able to share, then, if we're going to come to heaven, two lives simultaneously, human and divine. Because if you're going to take your pet and sit him down at your table and give him human life, you wouldn't want to destroy him as a pet, so you'd have to have both lives. So similarly, if we're going to come to the glory of heaven, we have to have both human and divine life, and the grace life is 
the divine life, we actually become gods, in a sense, in a sense. Because if, um, if you look at a lion, we say it has lion's life. If you look at a dog, we say it has dog's life. If we have divine life, then in a certain sense, we are all gods. Now, not God is God is God, you know. But nevertheless, we share that divine life. The divine life. And that's the miracle of grace, and it's absolutely stupendous. It's one of the most profound mysteries of our faith, that we actually can share two lives simultaneously, and therefore come to this great banquet table in heaven. You know, that takes us back to the redemption of the body, exactly. which the Pope brings, right. if I were to pull out my slinky, yeah. you know, he's going to spiral around again and say that it is through marriage that the redemption of the body comes about. In other words, we looked at that break, that constitutive break that happens in a human person. In other words, my body and my spirit, there's a rupture between them, so they don't work together the Cloud way they should. mind, dark and will, body doesn't respond. Right, doesn't respond. And so in marriage it's kind of like the laboratory it's the opportunity to get the body and the spirit to work back together again so that I can live in relationship because remember the nuptial meaning of the body means I'm able to make this gift of self in the way that God makes a gift of self right. and in marriage we we receive the grace to reunite body and spirit again so that then I can make this gift of self to my spouse to my children, as you said, to my neighbors, the PTA. And it, it is an amazing thing that God gives us so many means. Mm -hmm. You know, all the sacraments are means of grace, but marriage especially for this union and communion with another person. Exactly. It, uh, marriage is the way the redemption of the body occurs for the majority of people. But as you just said, grace is given through all the sacraments, and all the sacraments in the sense that they give grace, accomplish in their own particular ways the redemption of the body. So we can't say that everybody has to be married to be redeemed no, not or to have all. the redemption of the body, but it is certainly the primary means for most people in their adult life because most are called to marriage. The single life, either in the church or in the religious orders or in the priesthood or the sisterhood, whichever, or the single life in the world, this is more of an exception than the norm for most of us. John Paul II concludes his fifth cycle with one of the most uh, profound word poems in all of his theology, a consideration of the Song of Songs. And those four or five audiences are worth reading just in and themselves, even if you have not gone through all the others, because it's, it's a wonderful word picture of the beauty of marriage. Join us next time for another interesting discussion on the theology of the body. You've been listening to Theology of the Body with Father Richard Hogan and Katrina Zeno on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.